I was at the first service, and now I'm at the second service. Uh, I'm not sure we have a, a residual from that second, first service over here this morning, uh, but I'm going to do my very best to bring it as fresh as I did at 9 o'clock as I hope to bring it here this morning. I want to say thank you uh, for the opportunity of coming here uh, this morning to share with you, as, as Matt stated, uh, it's been over three years uh, that I have been in partnership with this church in the areas of disciple making. I, I like to give you context because you want to probably figure out how in the world did I end up here uh, with Grace Church. Well, it started over an, an email that was sent to my headquarters out in Colorado Springs. And then from that email, your former pastor, uh, Bill Walker, was inquiring about disciple-making and how it might be able to take on a stronger venue here at the church. And so that meeting took place a few miles down the road at a restaurant called Applebee's. <laughs> and at Applebee's, we must have met there at least twice. He brought the second time, he brought a couple other members from the church and that was the beginning of a discussion. It began kind of in a wintry day like we've got going on right now, fall, winter. But I think it was uh, probably in the month of February when we got started. Now, during that particular time, many things took place. Uh, the first step toward the creating this culture or establishing culture, because I like to believe that there is a culture here at Grace. It's just needing strengthening and we're reassessing a couple of things to get it in front and center and very much engaged. But the beginning started off with me and Bill in a coaching relationship where I was coaching him in the areas of life and leadership. And with that, I met with him one-on-one -on -one every two weeks uh, for about nine months. And in that particular time, he shared with me, um, and I can share with you, which is not uh, portraying his confidence, he said, you know, um, I'm very much in for disciple-making, but I have never personally myself been discipled. I, I don't know all the dynamics that go on with a disciple, discipleship relationship. And that's not to say that he wasn't a disciple of Christ, because very much so, he was. But the question is, is how do you get that to become in a culture where it's contagious, where it is passing on from generation after generation. What does that look like and what is involved? And so within that nine-month relationship, which was actually great, and then we brought on uh, Matt in a group called the Alongsider. And for the next about 10 months was the Alongsider meeting. So things were off and running. And in God's timetable, he put me on a 60-day count. Now, in musical terms, I was here at the first service, and you had a little bit of an orchestra here. And in the orchestra, I noticed that there was a time period where only the brass were playing, and the other woodwinds, and that would include the, the, um, the violins and, and the flutes, and I forget what other groups were there. I, I'm not sure if there were clarinets, they could have very well been there, but they were on a, um, a, maybe a 15 measure count, maybe it might, might have been longer. But for me, it was a 60 day plus count. Well, God took me out of the ministry 
and I had to address a serious operation on my esophagus that went a little further than I had planned. I was only supposed to have been in the hospital for four days, and it turned out to be 16 days. And in that time, I had two operations in three days. That was not counted on either. That was not a part of the plan. And then eventually, after those two operations, something else went on, and uh, we had to go back to surgery in June to take care of that. There were some complications that took place. The reason I'm just telling you this is I'm on God's timetable. And you are too. And we can make the best of plans, just like in life. We can have the best of plans, and then they get upstaged. Sometimes to our, to our own good. I, I like to believe it was to my own good. I had to, I had to learn how to operate out of rest before God. And in operating out of rest, you begin to hear better. You can hear the things of God as it pertains to what does he want? What does he desire? Who's the story about anyway? Is it my story or is it his story? And so, therefore, we come to the point of trying to understand what is the story that we want to tell here at Grace? What is it all about? What will we be known for? What will people hear? This morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is my understanding that you've been studying since, uh, I guess, the summer, 1 Corinthians, and I think you all the way, at least all the way up through chapter 6. And this morning, I'm going to come back, I'm going to bring you back to chapter 3. But by now, you ought to have a little bit of the background of what 1 Corinthians is all about, at least the first letter. And so we're going to read what 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says. Uh, I understand if you have Bibles in your chairs, it's on page 953. And if so, you can read along with me, if not. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no, one will, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he will himself be saved, but only as through fire. Let's pray. The foundation was laid in 1979 the foundation of Christ, known as Grace Church. I believe, Lord, it was even called Grace, Grace Brethren Church in Waldorf. And over the years, much has happened. And then there is more to come. This morning, Lord, we ask before you to open our eyes to what is more, about what is there more to come in this situation. What is the more that you desire to see in the culture of grace? 
that is a reflection of our devotion to Christ and our desire to see his kingdom come. Lord, it is possible from your word that that can take place. In fact, you desire that that's what it should really be all about. Jesus the King and his kingdom. May we this morning be prepared for all that you desire for us to hear, to see from your word, and the lessons that you desire for us to apply in our lives this day. In Christ's name, amen. Let's talk about the background of Corinth. Very much of a very secular environment, Corinth was a city in Greece, which also happened to be a colony of the Roman Empire. So it was, it was controlled by the Roman Empire, even though it had its own culture, which happened to be regarding, um, let's get back. There we go. Even though it happened to be in a Greek culture, a couple of things going on. And in that culture, there was the dynamics of a very famous game called Isthmian, which is very similar to the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games obviously was about a competition, and it happened every so three to four years, but the city had become known for these particular activities. Now, it was also known for some other activities. Not very good. Debauchery was one of the things that it was known for. Drinking, womanizing, sexual relationships, incest, you name it, it was pretty bad. In fact, Corinth was so bad, they could give the Romans a run for their money. That's how bad it was. And, and the church was born in this culture. It was founded by Paul. And he had some assistance to work with him in getting this church established. Aqu uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And so, here we are trying to establish a church in a secular environment. In fact, the Corinthian church was so bad that more of the secular culture was in the church than the kingdom was in the people. And so Paul had a big challenge of how do we rectify this? He wrote them several long letters that this is not right. Something is off kilter here. You, you've forgotten that you're about the king. And we're about the kingdom. Forget all the other stuff. You're about, it can only be about Christ and Christ alone. You cannot be a part of the other distractions that you're finally finding yourselves involved in. That's not what it's all about. In fact, he was so disturbed, he was ready to really, in, one, in chapter 5, he said, address it, hold them accountable for it, and if they don't get it together, put them out. 
and, surrender, and render them to the devil. Now, that's how bad it was. Now, why am I saying all this? Grace is not like that at all. I know they're not. But our culture is. Oh, we don't have far to go to run against it. It's everywhere. In fact, some of it may get off into us. And we may not even testify that we're not a part of that. But who are you when no one is looking? And that's really what Paul was getting at. That this had predominantly taken over them. And, and so what for him, the major thing he was working on is I got to keep it in front of them. And what I have to keep in front of them is Christ and Christ only. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He's known for his power, and he's known for his wisdom. And we ought to listen to him. That was what the theme was for the first letter. And so the question comes before us is, well, he laid the foundation, but what's been built on it? Has it been more of the culture from the outside? Or is it about the kingdom? Only time will tell. Well, let's think about the foundation that was laid in grace in 1979. In 1979, you had a pastor, the first pastor. His name was Jeff Thornley. He started this church in 1979, and I'm sure it was laid with a great foundation because, see, we still are here. Do you know that in 2019, be 40 years, and you're still here? Somebody must have told you about Christ. Someone must have told you, must have modeled before you that Christ it all is, that, is all that matters. Someone must have told you about the kingdom. There were some faithful members, some faithful elders. In fact, I met a few of them who said they were the charter members. So faithfulness was a part of the identity of this church and in established. I don't know when this was established, but right before you, you have to live and to love like Christ as well as to help others do the same. Now, some, that came from somewhere. And I like to believe it came from the founding, fa the founding fathers, the founding people here at Grace. And then something unfortunately happened. After all the labors, 32 years of labors, laboring, Christ took Jeff home. I can only imagine it was unexpected. The question is, should grace continue? Was the foundation strong enough that it could be sustained? Would people still come here because of Christ? Would the kingdom still be known for Jesus being king and that we want his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's really what it all should be, really be all about. 
And so in 2013, Bill Walker comes on the scene. And a new construction, a construction that he knew about, that he was prevalent with, and that he was trying to establish. Now, in that new construction, Bill started asking questions. I'm not ready to get there yet. But he started asking some questions. Now, in this culture, here are your values. One of the values focuses in, we want Christ-focused messages. We want everything to be centered on him. I mean, we just sang about it. Jesus is our, is, our, is, is, is our king. We surrender all to him. Unfailing love. I mean, that's, we were singing about that. Now, now, the question is, is that what we're experiencing? Is, is that what our lives are all about? Or is this just a routine? Is it just part of the events? Or is it a way of life? Another value is teaching is theological. So I did you a favor. I looked up theology. Theology is about the study, the practice, and the experience. So therefore, what we should be experiencing here as a church is the study, the practice, and the experience. That, that's what we value. It should be in, everywhere in this area, everywhere in this church, first service, second service, that should be within us. Another value is worship should be inspirational, encouraging, uplifting, that we get excited about the king and our kingdom. And that we, not only do we do it here, we do it at home. We do it in our workplace. We do it in school. This is not an act. This is what we're all about. And if, you, if, it, if, you weren't, if it wasn't about what you're about, you wouldn't be here. Unless you're expecting more. More than what you're experiencing. More than what you're hearing. And more than what you're seeing. There are a couple of other things that are here as well. Christian education, the format you value, small groups, topical studies. All of those are things that make up your church. That's your identity. So if I were to go to anyone in here, this should be a reflection of who you are. Now, if it's not, then... Why should you show up? Because you believe in more than what you're probably experiencing. And you come here to get energized, pumped up, and propelled to believe more and to see more. Now, Bill believed the same. But he had the humility to say, I can't reproduce that. I don't know anything about that. So this foundation, this culture was built in humility. To say what I'm not 
in order to ask for what I need to, to come for what I don't see. That's really what salvation is all about. It's to acknowledge what I'm not and to acknowledge who Jesus is to become what I desire to become, to become what he desires for me to become. And so the vision of Christ is that this becomes a culture of disciple-making. Now, you might ask, well, then how did you get here? What do you have to do with this? Well, I've never pastored a church. I'm an elder at a church. I've been ordained. I've been licensed. I got all the titles. That'll mean beans. <laughs> what is your life all about? Who are you impacting for Christ? So what I can say, been on the missions field for 35 years. Technically, I'm a missionary. Of the 35 years, I was at four different campuses. Two, the College of William and Mary and Virginia Tech, they already, had mission, they already had ministries. But God called me to get a ministry started at Norfolk State and at Howard University. Both distinctly, distinctively two different schools. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'm serious. That's my humility to you. I just had to take the board to pray and see God at work. It doesn't take many to start something big. In fact, we are a result today as a result of the faithfulness of 12 men. Most who were illiterate. Jesus knew that in the choosing. But would they be faithful? Would they render to him recognizing, you're the king, you are authority, you are Lord, we will follow. And then there were a couple of surprises. That things that they were not expecting that got really out of hand. No, God, we didn't sign up for that. We don't know anything. What in the world are you doing? You're asking us to help feed 5,000? It's at the end of the day. They had all kinds of challenges. See, to follow Christ is to accept the challenges. Now, all I'm saying is, when I had this experience of what I didn't know what it was to start a disciple-making ministry, I was in the infant stage of learning how this thing was going to work. And the faithfulness of God brought about a few people out of those two circumstances, Norfolk State and Howard University. I want to share one, one particular situation. Now, it affected one particular guy who eventually became the chief of staff of a congressman from New York 
on Capitol Hill. But he didn't forget his foundation. Because when I met him as a freshman in Meridian Hall, he wasn't, he was in Christ, but he wasn't necessarily going with Christ. Does that make sense? Does that make any sense? You can be in Christ, but you're not necessarily going all, going everywhere he's going. Because see, you still call him the shots. And so when I came alongside of him, I was beginning to share with him about how we want to live in his authority under his influence so that he, it's about his story, not our story. And he picked it up. He picked it up so much so that he began to share Christ, live for Christ, coming alongside of those who were seeking Christ in his office place. And then somebody came to Christ. He was so excited that he calls me on the phone and he said, Cedric, I've got some good news for you. I just want to let you know you're a granddad tonight. <laughs> I see you understand. Granddad? I didn't produce another child. Oh, no, he's talking about a spiritual child in the Lord. Basically, he's saying, see, what you took, what you took and gave to me, I passed it on to someone else who believed it, trusted it, and now they're following me for Christ. And that's what makes you a spiritual granddad. Now, is that something you think you could do? Is, is that what God had in mind for you? You know, they call that spiritual generations. It starts with one generation, and then it ends up with several generations. So in 1979, that was one generation of people. And look at here. You represent gen other generations. But there are more generations to come. We, we can't be satisfied with just what we see. We've got to pray. We've got to model. We've got to obey. We've got to repent. Oh, those are called values. That, that's what we're known for. That's what grace is all about. And that's how the culture changes. It, it doesn't start overnight. It just can start with one. The question is whether you're one of the ones that will be that one. Maybe you are. I understand that there's some construction going on here and things are taking place. But in the sincerity of a desire to build a culture, there are distractions. And Paul knew that. I, what I can't understand is, why did he talk about, now, be careful on how you build on the foundation. Make sure you don't build it with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Those are material things. What, what exactly do you use 
this for? Well, the temple was built out of that. These are called external things, things that you can see. Gold and silver, they shiny. We, we're attracted to shiny things. We think that that's what it's all about. Right now, we're casual. But there may come a time when we want to look shiny and really look good. Really, what Paul was saying, don't, don't, don't put your eggs in those baskets because it'll burn. In fact, he said, he was trying to give them an eternal perspective. He said, see, really, as believers, we should be known that we absorb in eternity. We, we have a, a future for what is to come and what is to go on right now. I mean, that's our identity. Now, if it's not, then we're not going to build this culture very good. The second thing is he said, now watch out for these little fractions. The 21st century calls them clicks. Watch out for the clicks. See, I, I'm in her Bible study. I'm in his Bible study. I'm not in your Bible study. This, this is where change takes place. Paul says, nonsense. We, we're all in this together. The only one who causes the growth is God causes the growth. That's really what we should be about. Now, if we're not about that, then something else is going to creep in. Beware. Now, I don't know if anything has crept into grace. Surely not. You're upstanding people. You're known by good works, righteous works, not works of the world. That's not necessarily true. Paul said, these people were known by their jealousy and their strife. They were, they were known for the human struggle. They were known for doing things in the human way. Forget this trusting of Christ. We'll figure it out. Is really, is that what the church is all about? For us to just kind of figure it out? Depend on what we know? We, we've run our social attachments. We have a little experience with that. Maybe we can use that into the church. Oh, no, it's not quite like that. See, when we get into a jam and we don't quite see clearly, we, we pull back and we pray. We ask for clarity. Really, is that how you all do it? Oh, yeah. That's, that's what we're about. We're dependent on him. See, we've already messed up. That's why we called out for a savior, because we didn't messed up. We don't like continually to mess up. So it's when we're with the savior, when we're in, in, in alignment with him, then we get a sense of clarity, vision, celebration, that's what it's all about. So, if it is, if that is what it's all about, then what should a culture look like? The simple definition of culture is a set of behaviors 
and a set of values that are practiced in a certain setting. That's really all it is. It's not my definition. It's just a simple definition from a lot of things that are stated about culture. So now we have to sit back and ask, all right, what are the behaviors here? What are the values here in this setting called grace? The Church of Christ in Waldorf that's called grace. So, what are we seeing? Well, the culture ought to be known by some markers. First, what is the language that you speak here? Does everybody speak the same language? When someone talks, the other person understands and you reciprocate? Is it a language of the kingdom? So, if someone says salvation, they don't jump back. What are you talking about? You probably don't even use the word saved anymore. That's kind of a King James. But have you received Christ? Have you surrendered to Christ? Are you coming to know him? Is this a part of your mission? Are you into missional living where you're living like Christ, you're loving like Christ, and you're encouraging others to do the same? No, brother, we don't ever talk about that here. Really? Well, what do you talk about? Man, we talk about the Redskins. <laughs> and we talk about the Wizards. And we talk about myriads of other things. And that's what I hear everybody talking about. When I get into church, man, did you see that game last night? If you're into sports. Sometimes we get into other things. And I believe me, I'm not going to go there. But lately, the, the talk of the town has been about the elections. That's all I'm going to say. That sometimes that's more about what we'll talk about than about some of the believers who are becoming more transformed in Christ. How we're beginning to notice they're not like the way they used to be. And spiritual maturity is more dominant in their lives. And all I remember is that there was a confession made. And I heard about forgiveness. And somebody, I, I think I heard something about that grace was extended to me? What in the world is that? How does grace look? What does that look like? That's kingdom language. Now let me give you an example. In my church this past summer, there was Vacation Bible School. And I'm sure you all know about Vacation Bible School. And generally, Vacation Bible School is a kind of a week where we focus, is on, we focus in on the um, <clears throat> living kingdom living or being involved in kingdom living. Something that's going to help us live more for Christ. So there was one brother that was there. <clears throat> He'd been coming three nights out of four. 
I didn't know him. I didn't know his name. I just noticed that he was very dutiful, very attentive. And me being an elder at the church, I said, um, I don't know you. What's your name? And he gave me his name. And I said, man, I've been seeing you come every night. And I said, but are you new here at the church? He said, no, I've been coming for three years. He says, I just figured it was about time that I give myself back to the church. In fact, he said, I feel like I can do more for the kingdom. Whoa. Did you say kingdom? Where'd you learn that word from? Well, I'm in something called a small group, and in this small group, we're learning about what it means to follow Jesus, and that Jesus is about about the kingdom, and how he was talking about he's a king, but he doesn't look like all the other kings, and that he was going to die, and he was going to give himself sacrificially for his kingdom in order that he would be able to redeem man from his sin, that they could become a part of the kingdom. You learned all of that? He says, yeah. In fact, I want to learn some more. Can you point me to somewhere else where I can learn? Now, the interesting thing about this story is that the small group that he's in is called a triad. Something that you're going to hear more about here at this church. A triad is a commitment to a two-year process of learning what does it mean to follow Christ. And you can't even enter in the triad unless you are committed to passing it on or you don't get into the triad. So what you're learning, you'll be in there for two years where you're exposed to transparency, vulnerability, authenticity, exposure. Of how do you apply truth to your life? And then it doesn't quite turn out the way you think it should. But nobody condemns you for getting it wrong. Because you see, we all are broken. And we're all of trying to trust God with these broken, broken bodies, broken spirits, surrendering to Christ and asking him to make it new. That's really what's going on in the triad. I'm not so sure I want anybody to come up that close to me and see all the stuff that's going on in my life. Well, most of us don't. But it's part of the process. It's it's necessary. Even Jesus let us see what it's like when he got fearful. You, you do recall he got fearful in the Garden of Gethsemane. He exposed all of that. We got a chance to read about it. That the Son of Man faced a fearful moment that he wasn't sure he wanted to go through, but he did say, not my will, but thy will. Well, see, we all, we all experience that. But that's a part kingdom language. Now, kingdom values is getting into things like 
We believe in the authority of scriptures. Not just because we read it every Sunday. No, we we make our decisions about what does the word of God say and, and that's it. Whether we like it or not. Because see, if we submit to the authority of scriptures, we're really saying we, this is the kingdom that we are part of and this is the authority that we're living under and we've surrendered to it. Now it hurts. It hurts really bad, particularly if it's not going my way. But I'm choosing to believe that his way is better than my way. And I'm going to surrender to that. So that's a value. Another value is sharing, ministering out of our brokenness. Well, you just don't hear about all the good things that are going on. But you hear about my weaknesses and my struggles. Because, see, that's a part of the process. And prayer. That's not, not only is that a discipline, but that's a value. See, we believe in the power of God. We are witnesses of the power of God that has transformed us. That's what we believe. And stories. Well, is any of this true? I mean, do we, do we get you all stories, and are they told up here about how God is transforming your life and that you're not the same way you were in 2017, but you're a new man? Let me, let me tell you about something, how I was delivered. Do we hear that? So let me give you one quick story. I know we're getting on perhaps longer than you normally stay here, so I got about 10 more minutes. When Grace got started in trying to get this culture of disciple-making dominant as a part of your identity, we started something called the Leadership Learning Team, LLT. There's something called the Fireside Room. Is that what it's called? That's where we met. And it started off big, and it had nine people. We extended them invitations. These nine people were going to be the ones who were going to model what we wanted to see in the rest of the culture. And pretty much we're on our way. Well, as Bill said, I mean, Matt said, I'm at another church in New Jersey. A little small town called Elmer, New Jersey in South Jersey. Just on the other side of the Delaware River. You get over the bridge and turn right and you'll get to it. Now, there is a church that was built before the Revolutionary War, and it's still standing in a cornfield. It's lots of cornfields. In fact, that's all I see. And I said, how is the kingdom going to expand in a cornfield? But there, this little church they're about, they average about 35 members, 35 people. The majority of the people are over 70. So there's a lot of white hair. And they decided to establish a leadership learning team. Four people, 
You know what the median age is for this little group? 67. I'm the youngest one. I'm, I'll be 63 in December. So I'm considered young. Now, why am I going to tell you? Why am I going to tell you about this story? Because these four people said, count us in. It ain't over yet. We're willing to swim upstream against the culture. We're going to trust God with this process. We're going to believe him for wherever, however it's going to turn out, and we're willing to, rem- to model ourselves to the rest of the congregation for the other generations that we can't see. And so they're started. So I challenged them. They've gone through their two years of going through a discipleship curriculum where they've learned in disciplines like having a daily quiet time, getting into scriptures constantly, sharing what they're getting out of the scriptures. What have you been hearing from God lately? What has he told you? Man, I had to repent. What? What caused you to have to do that? Well, because my life didn't line up with what the scriptures had to say. And I had to confess that. You mean you could say that? And not get condemned? Well, well, yeah. So, one of the members, her name is Judy, a retired school teacher. She's 69 years old. And she figured she would start sharing what she's learning with her grandchildren. And her grandchildren are believing everything she has to say. So one night, Judy was all tired from all the activities that she was going through throughout that day, and she was going to put her grandchildren to bed. And this particular night, she thought she was going to skip. You know, when you're so tired, you just, oh. Let's just get him in the bed. Now lay me down to sleep. You know, one of those prayers. I'm sure you don't know that. <laughs> a quick prayer. And so, Judy told her grandson, she said, we, I, we're just going to pray a short prayer tonight because I'm tired, you're tired, and we'll get back and start a new day. No, Granny, you can't do that. You taught me, you've been teaching me about the Lord's Prayer, and I just about got it. So we can't stop tonight because when we have communion on Sunday, I think I'll be able to have it all down packed. Well, I can say it with the rest of the members without having to read it. I've just about got it memorized. So, Nanny, would you go over it tonight? Now, How do you think she felt? See, what happened is she had become an alongsider to her grandchild, teaching them the way, modeling them the way, encouraging them in the way. By the way, that's the next generation. If someone's not faithful, then this, will, this foundation can become undermined 
and really become extinct if we're not faithful to the mission of knowing Christ and making him known. So we have a couple of challenges that's before us. And one of the challenges is, are you going to participate? There's construction going on. It's been going on for a couple of years. I've been here several Sunday, morning, Sunday, Sunday afternoons, all the way in the fireside. And when I'm not there, I'm meeting with Matt. And over those particular times, if you notice when you come through the, through this, the doors at front, there's this picture, these words at the top. That's the picture of a disciple of what grace would like to see every member become. All the ministries should live out of that particular picture because that's what we want to see when we look at you. That's the focus of our conversations, if you didn't know it, that we want to see that become a reality. The second thing is that we know it's not going to happen by osmosis, so there's an intentionality. That intentionality is the triads and the quads. These are disciple-making groups. They're small, three or four people. All cultures start off small. And little by little, it begins to infect the rest of the body. Soon enough, you will see that the language is about kingdom language and the values are about kingdom values. They're not only affected in here, they'll go into your communities such that we desire to see all of mankind redeemed. That will be on our hearts. Now, it might be not be on there today, Oh, but tomorrow, we got another chance. The pathways. We spent two Saturdays, approximately six hours. Actually, it was longer than that because we had another revision. We're trying to figure out a pathway. What is the type of maturity that we want to see here? What is it that we want you all to go through that's going to render you spiritually mature, if, if that is your goal. Now, maybe it's not. But it is the value of the church that we want to see each one of you become mature in Christ. We know everybody's got to have a beginning, and there ought to be an end. And then, then you need to take over. What you are creating, your own curriculum, of what is it going to take for you to grow, not waiting on us to determine what that should look like. Now, at 63, I ain't waiting on my church to figure out no curriculum. <laughs> I, I didn't learn a few things. Now, that has nothing to do with arrogancy or pride. But sooner or later, I, I need to own this. I don't need to wait on you all to figure this out. I own this because I desire to be like him. I'm at the point I don't need anyone to whisper to me. Now, if I'm off balance, out of alignment, yeah, you come and you tell me 
that ain't what the words say. And I see your life, the two ain't joining together. Then come, let's talk about it. And my heart needs to be open to confession. Because that's part of the life. And then, are you groomed for one to see other generations? What is it that you want to see? Do you only see what's in here? Or do you see beyond here? And then finally, the question comes, will you consent? Will you surrender to be a part of this construction that's going on in creating a culture of disciple-making? The invitation is there for you. The challenges are there. I told Matt, do not slack up on the standards. Keep them high. Two years of commitment to the scriptures, two years of living your life in a transparent way, two years of looking for an opportunity to apply the truth to your life, and when it's all done, we expect you to pass it on to another generation. We will accept nothing less than that because Christ didn't accept nothing less than that. It was hard. He lost one. That's how hard it is. So we're not going to tell you anything that we didn't see in the scriptures. But the invitation is given to you this day. May God help you to surrender to what he desires you to become. Let's pray. The time has come, God, where we realize that we need to surrender to you. But I don't know who you're talking to today. I don't know whose heart is open. But I know that it needs to be open in order for us to obey. So draw whoever you desire to, to receive this message today to understand this truth and to apply it to their lives. Prayers have gone out before us. Prayers will continue to go out. But we're trusting you that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the king's name, Lord Jesus. Amen.